I want to look at two suttas where there are monks that hold pernicious views. Uh, actually, that list of seven suttas that I gave this summer, both of these suttas made it. They're, they're quite interesting suttas. And the first one is Majjhima Nikaya number 38. The Greater Discourse on the Destruction of Craving. Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Buddha was living at Savati in Jeta's Grove on a Dependicus Park. And at that time, the pernicious view had arisen in Sati, the son of a fisherman, that as I understand the Dhamma taught by the Blessed One, it is the same consciousness that runs and wanders through the rounds of rebirth, not another. In other words, he's assuming there's reincarnation. That this consciousness, the one that knows the lawnmower outside and knows my voice and knows the Buddha statue up here, when you die, that consciousness will go on to another body. This is just plain, simple, ordinary reincarnation. Several bhikkhus, having heard about this, went to the bhikkhu Sati and said, Friend Sati, is it true that such a pernicious view has arisen in you? Exactly so, friends. As I understand the Dhamma taught by the Blessed One is this consciousness which runs on from incarnation to incarnation. Oh, don't say that, Sati. Those bhikkhus desiring to detach him from the pernicious view Press questions and cross-questioned him. Friend Sati, do not say so. Do not misrepresent the Blessed One. It is not good to represent the Blessed One. The Blessed One would not speak thus. For in many discourses, the Blessed One has stated consciousness to be dependently originated. He had that in the other discourse, right? It arises because of concoctions. Uh, since without a condition there is no origination of consciousness. And although these bhikkhus pressed and prodded the bhikkhu sati, he would not let go of his pernicious view. And since they were unable to detach him from his pernicious view, they went to see the Buddha and they told him what was occurring. Venerable sir, since we could not detach the bhikkhu sati, son of a fisherman, from this pernicious view, we have reported the matter to the Blessed One. Then the Blessed One addressed a certain bhikkhu thus, Come, bhikkhu, tell the bhikkhu sati, son of a fisherman, the master calls. Yes. And he replied, and he went off and found sati and said, The teacher calls you, sati. Yes, friend. And he went to the Blessed One and after paying homage, sat down at one side. Then the Blessed One said, Sati, is it true that the following pernicious view has arisen in you? As I understand the Dhamma taught by the Blessed One is the same consciousness that runs and wanders through the rounds of rebirth, not another. Exactly so, Venerable Sir. As I understand the Dhamma taught by the... Okay. What is consciousness, Sati? Venerable Sir, it is that which speaks and feels and experiences here and there the results of good and bad actions. Misguided man, to whom have you ever known me to teach the Dhamma in that way? Misguided man, in many discourses have I not stated consciousness to be dependently arisen, since without a condition there is no origination of consciousness. But you, misguided man, have misrepresented us by your wrong grasp and injured yourself and stored up much demerit, for this will lead to your harm and suffering for a long time. People in the 21st century will know how weird you are. (laughs) 
Then the Blessed One addressed the bhikkhus thus, Bhikkhus, what do you think? Has this bhikkhu sati, son of a fisherman, kindled even a spark of wisdom in this dharma and discipline? How could he be? Venerable sir, no, venerable sir. When this was said, the bhikkhu sati, son of a fisherman, sat silent, dismayed, with shoulders drooping and head down, glum and without response. Then knowing this, the Buddha said to him, misguided man, you will be recognized by your own pernicious view. I shall question the bhikkhus on this matter. So Sati, the son of a fisherman, is indeed recognized by his own pernicious view. I mean, right now, all these 2,500 years later, we know about Sati and his pernicious view. Then the Blessed One addressed the bhikkhus thus, Bhikkhus, do you understand the Dharma taught by me as this bhikkhu Sati, the son of fisherman, does when he misrepresents us by wrong grasp, injures himself and sows up much dismerit? Anybody agree with Sati? No, venerable sir, for in many discourses the Blessed One has stated consciousness is dependently arisen. Good bhikkhus, it's good that you understand the Dharma taught by me because... In many discourses, I've taught it's dependently arisen. Because consciousness is reckoned by the particular condition on which it arises. When consciousness arises dependent on the I informed, it is recognized as I consciousness. When it arises dependent upon ear and sound, it is recognized as ear consciousness, etc. through the six senses. Just as a fire is reckoned by the particular conditions on which it burns. When it burns dependent on logs, it is recognized, it is reckoned as a log fire. When it fire burns dependent on faggots, it is reckoned as a faggot fire. When it depends, when it burns dependent on grass, it's a grass fire. Cow dung, a cow dung fire. Rubbish, a rubbish fire. So consciousness is reckoned by the conditions on which it arises. The six senses. Bhikkhus, do you see? This has come to be. Yes, Venerable Sir. Do you see? Its origination occurs that with this is nutriment. Yes, Venerable Sir. Bhikkhus, do you see? With cessation of its nutriment, what has come to be is subject to cessation. Yes, Venerable Sir. So basically the Buddha is saying, all right, guys, have you got it? You know, things arise dependently. They have this nutriment, which is their origination. When they don't get the nutriment, it goes away. You all got that? And they say yes. Bhikkhus, does doubt arise when one is uncertain this has come to be or not? Yeah. Bhikkhus, does doubt arise when one is uncertain this is this origination occur with this nutriment or not? Yeah. Bhikkhus, does doubt arise when one is uncertain thus with the cessation of that nutriment is what has come to be subject to cessation or not? Yes, Venerable Sir. Bhikkhus, is doubt abandoned in one who sees as it actually is with proper wisdom, this has come to be? Yes. Is doubt abandoned in one who sees as it actually is with proper wisdom, its origination occurs with this as nutriment? Yes. Is doubt abandoned in one who sees as proper wisdom, the cessation of that nutriment, what has come to be is subject to cessation? Yes. This goes on for quite some time, checking out that the bhikkhus have really got it, you know, what it means for something to be dependently originated. Bhikkhus, there are four kinds of nutriment for the maintenance of being that have come to be and for those seeking new existence. What four? They are physical food, gross or subtle, contact, mental volition, and consciousness. So the same as we had in the earlier sutta. 
Now, bhikkhus, these four kinds of nutriment have what as their source, what as their origin, and from what are they born and produced? These four kinds of nutriment have craving as their source, craving as their origin. They are born and produced from craving. And this craving has what as its source? Vedna. Vedna has what as its source? Contact. Contact, six senses. Six senses, mind and body, mind and body. Consciousness, consciousness, the concoctions, concoctions, ignorance. So bhikkhus, with ignorance as condition, and now the Buddha goes through dependent origination in the forward order. Then he goes uh, through it in the reverse order and says things like, with birth as condition, aging and death. So it was said, now bhikkhus, do aging and death have birth as condition or not? Or how do you take this? Yes. Aging and death has birth as condition. So now we go through all of it in detail, excruciating detail like this. And then it's recapitulated as arising. It's then done on ceasing. It's done uh, reverse order with the questions. And then a recapitulation on ceasing. So in other words, the Buddha takes dependent origination, looks at it in terms of arising, this arises. In terms of if this ceases, this also ceases. Forwards and backwards. Bhikkhus, knowing and seeing in this way, would you run back to the past thus? Were we in the past? Were we not in the past? What were we in the past? How were we in the past? Having been what, what did we become in the past? No, venerable sir. Okay, if you understand that things are dependently originated, are you going to look for yourself in the past? Right? If you understand that who you are right now is a dependently originated phenomenon, does it make sense to run back to the past and ask questions about yourself? Well, no, that was a dependently originated phenomenon. Knowing and seeing in this way, would you run forward to the future thus? Shall we be in the future? Shall we not be in the future? What shall we be in the future? How shall we be in the future? Having been what, what shall we become in the future? No, venerable sir. Okay, same thing. Instead of thoughts of the future, what, what is to become of me, see the dependently originated nature of who you are. Knowing and seeing this way, would you now be inwardly perplexed about the present? Am I? Am I not? What am I? How am I? Where has this being come from? Where will it go? No, venerable sir. In other words, if you have a deep understanding of dependent origination, the questions about what you were and what you become and who you are right now should actually disappear. You are simply a dependently arisen phenomena that is in flux, that will continue to change as more dependent conditions arise and influence you. Bhikkhus, knowing and seeing in this way, would you speak thus? The teacher is respected by us. We speak as we do out of respect for the teacher. Now, are you answering just because you respect me? No. Knowing and seeing in this, would, knowing and seeing this way, would you speak thus? The recluse says this, and so do other recluses, but we do not speak this. No, venerable sir. Knowing and seeing this way, would you acknowledge another teacher? No, venerable sir. Knowing and seeing in this way, would you return to the observances tumultuous debates and auspicious signs of ordinary recluses and Brahmins, taking them as the core of the holy life. No, Venerable Sir. Do you speak only from what you have known and seen and understood by yourselves? Yes, Venerable Sir. Okay, so 
The bhikkhus to whom he was speaking did have quite a good grasp of dependent origination. They knew what was going on. They weren't confused about the past or the future or even the present. They were able to think in terms of dependently arisen phenomena. They weren't caught up in nouns. They were able to do verbs. Good bhikkhus. So he had been guided by me with the Dhamma, which is visible here and now, immediately effective, inviting inspection, leading onward to be experienced by the wise for themselves. For it was with reference to this that it was said, because this Dhamma is visible here and now, immediately effective, inviting inspection, onward leading to be experienced by the wise for themselves. Now there's some interesting material here about... Uh, conception and to maturity. Uh, This is sort of the way that, shall we say, birth, adolescence were looked at at the time of the Buddha. Because the conception of an embryo in a womb takes place through the union of three things. Here there is the union of mother and father, but it's not the mother's season, and the being to reborn is not present. In this case, there is no conception of an embryo. There's the union of mother and father. It is the mother's season, but the being to be born is not present. In this case, there's no conception. But when it is the union of mother and father and it is the mother's season and the being to be born is present, through the union of these three things, conception as an embryo takes place in the womb. So interestingly enough, there is a being to be born. This is sometimes referred to as rebirth consciousness. Actually, the word used in Pali is the same word as celestial musician. Okay, and so there was some understanding that in order for a child to be born, there had to be music playing by celestial musicians at first, but actually it just means the being to be born or the the rebirth consciousness. And no, I'm not going to go explain that in detail, even if you ask questions. All right? You can uh, know that this is what it says in the sutta and take it however you want to take it. The mother then carries the embryo in her womb for nine to ten months with great anxiety and as a heavy burden. Then at the end of nine or ten months, the mother gives birth with much anxiety as a heavy burden. Then when the child is born, she nourishes it with her own blood for the mother's breast milk is called blood in the noble one's discipline. When one grows up and his faculties mature, the child plays at such games as toy plows, tip cat, somersaults, toy windmills, toy measures, toy cars, and a toy bow and arrow. When he grows up and his faculties mature still further, the youth enjoys himself provided and endowed with the five chords of sensual pleasure, with forms cognizable by the eye, sounds cognizable by the ear, etc., including... uh, Tangibles cognized by the body that are wished for, agreeable, likable, connected with sense pleasure, and provocative of lust. All right, so you're born, you're nourished, you play with toys. As you grow further, you begin to really experience the pleasures of the senses and you seek outward for these sense pleasures. On seeing a form with the eye, one lusts after it if it is pleasing, one dislikes it if it is unpleasing. One abides with mindfulness of the body unestablished, with a limited mind, and one does not understand as it actually is the deliverance of mind and deliverance by wisdom, where upon these evil, unwholesome states cease without remainder. 
Engaged as one is in favoring and opposing whatever feeling one feels, whether pleasant or painful or neither pleasant or painful, one delights in that feeling, welcomes it, and remains holding to it. Well, that seems a little weird for unpleasant feelings, but we could assume that the way that the sutta was memorized as a chant, it got a little distorted right there, that one clings to the pleasant and pushes away the unpleasant and ignores the neutral ones. As one does so, delight and rises in one. Now delight and feelings is clinging. With clinging as condition comes being, birth, old age, sickness, death, pain, sorrow, grief, lamentation, despair, such as the origin of the whole mass of suffering. Okay, so the Buddha is saying we're conceived, we're born, we play with our toys, we start figuring out these things bring pleasure, we start craving, clinging, etc., and set off the whole dependent origination phenomena. Now, the next thing that comes in the sutta is a form of the graduated training. The graduated training is the details of the Buddha's teaching. And it has a number of parts. The first one is the moralities, the precepts. Not killing, not stealing, etc. Then comes guarding the senses. Mindfulness of everything that you do. Getting dressed, going to sleep, going on alms round, talking, being silent, going to the toilet. Being content with little. On the spiritual path, you don't need a lot. Food, clothing, shelter, medicine if you're sick. Then the abandoning of the five hindrances and the five jhanas, or the, the four jhanas. Um, having come through the jhanas, on seeing a form with the eye, one does not lust after it is pleasing. One does not dislike it if it is unpleasing. One abides with mindfulness of the body established, with an immeasurable mind. And one understands as it actually is the deliverance of mind and deliverance by wisdom wherein these evil unwholesome states cease without remainder. Having abandoned favoring and opposing whatever Vedna one feels, whether painful or pleasant, one does not delight in that Vedna welcome it or remain holding. As one does so, delight in feeling, delight in Vedna ceases with the cessation of Delight comes the cessation of clean, with the cessation of clean, the cessation of being, with the cessation of being, the cessation of birth, the cessation of birth, the cessation of aging, death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair, such as the cessation of this whole mass of suffering. So what the Buddha is saying, that one practices the graduated training up through the jhanas, that is, one establishes a very concentrated mind, and then one examines very carefully how one reacts to sense impressions on seeing a form and seeing it for what it is with a concentrated mind, that tendency to grasp hold of it isn't there. On experience of Vedana, a tendency for the craving and clinging to set in isn't there. So the idea is to concentrate the mind enough so that these things can be seen for what they are. And then the same thing is done for all the other senses, on hearing a sound, on experiencing a Vedana through the ear door, etc., Bhikkhus, remember this deliverance through the destruction of craving is taught by me. But the bhikkhu sati, son of a fisherman, is caught up in the vast net of craving, in the trammel of craving. 
This is what the Blessed One said. The bhikkhus were satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words. Okay, so this sutta we have Sati, the son of the fisherman, who thinks that consciousness transmigrates, won't let go of his view, is brought before the Buddha. The Buddha is uh, rather harsh with him, and he winds up sitting there rather depressed. And the Buddha says, consciousness is dependently originated. Now, often in Buddhism, the teaching is one of reincarnation or rebirth. But this sutta says something quite different. It says that consciousness is dependently originated. If we connect this with the previous sutta, the one on existence and non-existence, and seeing all that there is is arising and passing of dukkha, seeing all that there is is dependent origination, then we begin to get a, a perhaps a deeper picture that if you mistake your consciousness for being actually an existent thing, then you fall into sati's trap and you think it's your consciousness which is coming back next time. If, however, you see all that is happening is this vast holographic unfolding, this arising and passing of phenomena, this arising and passing of interdependent phenomena, then you don't make the mistake of concretizing your consciousness and you don't make the mistake of thinking that you'll be back next time and do it somehow differently. You actually begin to stop conceiving of yourself as a self, and you start experiencing the world as a bunch of verbs affecting each other. So, questions or comments on this sutta? Pass the microphone around. One thing that caught me um, was this um, relinquishment of these uh, experiences as you seem to have uh, accomplished them. It, one was, it caught my attention, was letting go of the jhanas as well. Right. And I'd heard that before in my uh, in previous Dharma talks. But uh, I, I just, and I'm assuming, I, I kind of have a sense of knowing what that means. But uh, could you just say a little bit more about it? Right. Once you're in the jhanas, the jhanas have specific characteristics for each of the jhanas. You are experiencing these not with your eyes, ears, nose, tongue, but with the mind sense. And there is a tendency to get attached to them, right? So the idea is that you have these experiences, they concentrate your mind, the experience has done what it needs to do. It's provided you with a mind that is clear, sharp, bright, malleable, wielding, and attained to imperturbability, which you can incline and direct to knowledge and vision of things as they are. So, you let go of the jhanas at that point, and you turn your mind initially to watching the factors of the jhanas fade away. You're no longer so enchanted with the pleasures of the first jhana or the equanimity of the fourth jhana. And you're able to let go of that and just see it as a dependently arisen phenomena, then you can open up your 
field of experience and see everything else as a dependently arisen phenomenon as well. I'm not sure if I heard this right or, or not, but I, at one time you mentioned uh, not, not looking into the future, not looking into the past, but, and also not taking too much trouble about wondering what the present is. That kind of made me think, because isn't it necessary, even if it's dependent origination that caused the present, isn't it worthwhile stopping and looking at the present so that we can evaluate what to do? Right, but what is said is it's not don't look at the past. Don't get caught up in looking at your own past as though you are an individual or anything like that. If you're trying for the deepest level of understanding, let go of you. Let go of thinking who you were in the past. Be in the present and see the dependently arisen phenomena. Okay, But yes, it is still necessary to take care of business on the relative level. So it, it, it can be very wise to learn from your past mistakes so that you don't make them again, things like that. See where you are at the present, see which direction you want to go in. But if you can do this with a mind that's not so caught up in so that I will be eternally happy or anything like that, it's much healthier. If you can do it with a mind of the fact well, this is what needs to be done, as opposed to me, 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 I, I, I. But just recognizing it's necessary to take care of this body. It's necessary to take care of you know, living in this culture, things like that. Yeah. So it's not forget the past, but don't speculate about the past, who you were. And also it might be, it might be that the past that is being talked about here is past life past or future life, future, rather than this life as well. So I think that probably there's the, the recent past and the very distant past that's being addressed. There's also the tendency for dwelling on remembered past events to, to bring up all sorts of dukkha again. Right. <laughs> could be done with. Right. Yeah, it's not necessary to dwell on all the dukkha from the past. The present will provide enough for you. Any other questions on the sutta? It's uh it's an interesting sutta not only to sort of lay to rest the uh the idea of reincarnation as is popularly taught but it has quite a lot of material on dependent origination in it as well. So, yes. As we go through you have to turn the bottom switch. As we go through the various steps of uh, clinging and arising and birth and old age and sickness and so forth, just describe to me a little bit the... Uh, What's going on as we go from where's the one from clinging to being and okay. from being to birth? Right. That that part of it. There are a number of interpretations of dependent origination that you can find 
shall we say, post-canonical. In the early commentaries, you find what is called the three lives interpretation. Okay? And so this is a transition. The part you talked about would be seen as a transition from this life to the next life. However, there is scant, if any, evidence that the three lives interpretation is what the Buddha meant. It seems to have been something that came up after the Buddha's passing. There's a very good book on dependent origination by uh, uh, Buddhadasa, Ajahn Buddhadasa. The title of it is Paticca Samapada, which is dependent origination in Pali. It's a difficult book to get hold of. It's only published in Thailand, and you have to send them a donation, and they send you the book. But it's quite worth reading. And Buddhadasa minces no words in saying that the three lives interpretation is completely incorrect and actually quite harmful. Uh, whoever thought it up would be sitting there thinking, looking like Sati. Okay. Uh, and what he's saying is that we should see dependent origination in terms of our moment-to-moment existence. And in particular, what, we, what the becoming is and the birth is the becoming of a self, the birth of the self, the birth of the ego. Our egos are quite fragile things. You might have noticed that. They get bruised easily. They get hurt. And furthermore, we have to keep thinking them up. If you can pay attention, your ego's not there all the time. If you're reading a book, a really good book, and you're totally engrossed in it, you're not sitting there thinking, oh, I'm reading this really good book. No, you're completely caught up with the characters and who done it and all this other stuff. The sense of I isn't happening. If you're in a movie and it's really got you, you know, the same sort of thing. Um, it's quite possible to become absorbed in a creative project or anything like that, and the sense of I isn't there. But the sense of I arises the moment there's any craving and clinging. Because, well, if you're craving it, who's supposed to get it? Me, of course. And who's going to get to keep it? Me, of course. So the craving and clinging gives birth, makes the arising of the ego, the self, the sense of me. And that's what you have birth of. And because the ego is so fragile, you're going to have the death of it. And along the way, it might get bruised because somebody insults it or it doesn't get its way or any of this other stuff. So looking at dependent origination as the last few steps, not being a physical birth, but uh, more, shall we say, uh, uh, an ego birth or a self-birth makes dependent origination work moment to moment and takes the teaching of dependent origination to a much deeper level and apparently the level that the Buddha is talking about, especially in light of, say, a sutta like number 1215 there, the Katyana Sutta, where he's talking about existence, non-existence, seeing everything in terms of dependent origination. Do you have a question? So we're talk- you're talking about uh, us as being um, dependently arising phenomena. Yes. Yes. I'm thinking of all the stories of the Buddha and his past lives, which seem so clearly um, 
Yeah. Right. I think I'm going to answer this by saying, when I give a Dharma talk, I sometimes talk about quantum physics. In other words, I talk about the paradigm that is in vogue, the worldview, the cosmology of today. And so when the Buddha was speaking, he used the paradigm that was happening at that time. As to what's really going on, I don't know. I don't have a clue. I'm not enlightened. Okay. However, I'm fairly comfortable with, I don't know. I don't have a clue. It's something that I'm quite willing to set aside and say, oh, well, this is kind of interesting. But it doesn't seem to be the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter seems to be looking very carefully at what's going on right here, right now, and seeing its dependently originating characteristics. And so that's where I try and keep doing the work. And just be comfortable with, I don't know. Having a don't know mind is absolutely essential on the spiritual path. Richard? One other comment on that, an image that comes to me when I hear the Buddha remembering all of his past lives is more of a redefinition of, of self and seeing that, in fact, it is the case that there, there are past lives. I can look and see my parents as being me, in a way. And from there, it can go out into, the, actually, the entire cosmos. Right. If you look at you know, the theories of the Big Bang and physics, they all evolved from that same singularity. Right. We're all stardust. Right, exactly. Yeah, if you look at past lives not as incarnations, but as this is a body of influences. Okay, so I am my parents' past lives. I am I'm my parents' I'm a, I'm the output of my parents' lives. I'm the output of my grandparents' lives, and the output of the people that boarded the Mayflower and decided to come here because they meant more people came, and now I'm speaking English as opposed to Spanish. Right, because enough English-speaking people got to the other side of the continent that they drove away the Spanish-speaking people on this side of the continent, etc. That's who I am as well. It also matters. None of us are getting on in years. I mean, if we look for childhood, and that's like <laughs> you really don't remember memory, memory. You know, you've been there. Yeah. And also biologically, I mean. Every atom in your body is going to replace this thing. Right. But you know you have a past life and get up a childhood. Yep. Yeah. I think if you can open up the view of what constitutes a past life, you get a much deeper picture of the interdependence of all phenomena and the dependently arisen nature of all phenomena.